When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Inside Brockle podcast. I'm Elliot Jackson and I'm joined as always by Ryan Hildred. Ryan, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Elliot. All things considered with the football last night. But um, yeah, I'm good on this uh, Sunday afternoon when we're recording. So Yes, we've gone slightly earlier treat for you if you're, you're a keen listener and you've got in early. Um, yeah, that's not, not the most cheery way to start the podcast, is it? Not, it wasn't a great game, was it? Saturday night, everyone was already in a bad mood because Sky had decided to move it to quarter to eight. And it's fair to say the football didn't improve matters whatsoever. A nil-nil draw for Blackburn Rovers means it's four without a win since the international break. Another game where they haven't scored. That's three in their last four. And we'll pick the bones of what, what ultimately was a night of frustration, missed opportunity and disappointment, Ryan. I actually thought they started quite well. <laughs> Again, very similar to the Huddersfield, where it was a decent start. There were some good patterns of play, I thought, building from defence. And it looked like they were going to cause issues. They, they sprung the offside trap a couple of times in the early exchanges where I thought Hull City played really high and it did offer space in behind for Burton, Diaz, Dolan, Gallagher to try and get in behind. And they created the best chance of the game, which came to Tyrus Dolan. He tried to give the goalkeeper the eyes, missed the near post. And that really was, on the reflection after 90 minutes, that was the best chance of the match, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And I share your view as well that I thought we did start the game well. And I thought the first half was just a half where I thought it was only a matter of time before we did score. Uh, the Norwich game that you know we reflected on in the last podcast, that game we just started so pedestrian, not a side who's going to attack Norwich and attack the game. But actually this one, yeah, I thought we were really good in the general play, really good in possession of the football. I thought as much as we do knock it around at the back quite a lot, it felt like it had a bit of purpose in that first half and it did just feel like it was coming. It's a huge chance for Ty Dole and it was a huge chance for Sam Gallagher as well when he had that ball knocked over the top. I still can't work out what he's trying to do (laughs) and this is just another in the long line of frustrations labelled at Sam Gallagher, isn't it? Because I just think an instinctive striker at this division pulls that down, slots it past the keeper, 1-0 at half-time. And then, yeah, the Ty Dolan chance. I just don't know why he's going near post because you can clearly see... He's tried to overcomplicate, hasn't he? He's tried to give him the eyes, but if you do that, you can't miss the near post. Yeah, and just finish it. And I think, as we'll probably come on to the end of our reflections on this game, it just ultimately smacks of a group of players in this game that I think, again, have, for different ways in the Norwich game, where I think they just froze on the occasion with Norwich... In this game, I think we've just frozen in the big moments. And when we need that little bit of quality, we need someone to stand up and be counted. And and ultimately, Dolan should be putting that away. And rather frustratingly, if it's, a, I don't know, middle of the season, Rotherham at home, he probably does score that chance. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It was, it was definitely the best chance of the game. And I thought there was a few boos at halftime, which I have to say I thought were harsh. I thought they were a little bit premature. I yeah. thought the first half, whilst... 
there was obviously some frustration and a bit of angst that they'd not got that elusive goal. I think the fact of how they played, I thought the performance was decent. I don't think it was swashbuckling football. I don't think it was as good as Huddersfield's second half, but I thought they were the better side and I thought they played well in patches. And I think it may have unnerved a few of them at halftime because they, they, I, that's all I can put it down to because the second half, they came out and they started so poorly, really, really sloppy, giving the ball away, just decision-making with simple passes. And Hull had a few opportunities. You know, there was one for Saeed Manesh that he, he stayed just wide after he got in behind. Adama Traore curled one from range, which from I was right behind that. I thought that had gone in the bottom corner. Brilliant strike. There was the opportunity where Hayden Carter miscontrolled the ball and it, uh, if it was Sybernesh again, broke through and had Carter not brought him down, that would have been a, a clear goal-scoring opportunity. wasn't a chance, but we had another miscommunication where Dom Hyam headed the ball past Ainsley Pears. So it was a really, really poor start to the second half. And I wonder if some of the fans' frustration at half-time got to the players a little bit because I asked I asked Yondal Thompson after the match what he thought was the second-half start was down to. And he was quite quick to just go, we're playing a good team. Like He agreed. He said, you know, I agree with what you're saying. I agree we were poor when we came out, but I think we were just playing a good side. But for the momentum to shift so quickly, it was more Rovers handing the initiative to Hull rather than Hull coming out with the, you know, with the, um, the ambition to really go and mark, the, the, put their stamp on the game. It was more Rovers' poor start, giving them encouragement that, oh, actually, we can go and take this game out of the scruff of the deck a little bit more. Yeah, and I think you're right to say that it did affect the players. And you're absolutely right to say it's completely unwarranted, those boos at half-time. We've been at Ewood Park so many times over the years, shooting into that Blackburn end. Rovers usually do score and they usually do you know, pick it up in the second half. So to boo a performance like we had in the first half was completely unwarranted. And I've got no doubt that in a game like this at this end of the season, Millwall at home to Hull probably win that game 1 or 2-0. I've got no doubt that Coventry win that game 1 or 2-0. I've got no doubt that Sunderland probably win that game 1 or 2-0. So I think if you want a picture and you want something to summarise why we possibly might not make top six, it's a game like this where overall the possession play is good, overall the general play is good. But when you need that little bit of quality, when you need that little bit of X factor, when you need that little bit of something just to turn a nil-nil into a one-nil, it's right there in front of our eyes. I think, again, it comes back to the inability to sign a number nine in January, which I don't want to keep harping back to that because it may seem harsh. But ultimately, I think if Blackburn don't get in the top six, it'll be because they didn't sign a central midfielder in the summer and because they didn't sign a striker in January. And that is what's going to potentially cost them. You talk about having that X factor. One player that has brought that, generally speaking, for Blackburn Rose in the last two years has been Ben Brereton-Diaz. I think it's fair to say he didn't have his best game against Hull City. Everything he tried didn't quite come off. Some of his decision-making, it felt a little bit desperate from him, as in he was trying to do too much for the team. I've seen a lot of criticism of his recent performances. And let's be fair, he hasn't been in great form since the World Cup break. He had a little bit of a goal got probably five games ago where he was scoring a few goals, but he hasn't been anywhere near the same level of quality that he was at the first half of the season. I am not personally having this this agenda that he's not having it or he's checked out or he's not asked because I just don't think he's that character in the slightest. With the greatest respect in the world, he was going to leave Blackburn Rovers in the first half of the season. Why would suddenly have that have changed because he's all but agreed a pre-contract with Villarreal. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't think that's how professional footballers work and I'm not having that as a as a reason for what has been a dip in form. 
There is generally a debate about whether he should be in the starting eleven, though, I think, going into the next game. What I would say is a lot of people seem to be forgetting that I've I've had a lot of tweets in the last well, particularly during the game last night saying, Why haven't why have we put Brereton Diaz back in? Why aren't we going back to the front four that works so well and playing Dolan on the left? Dolan has played on the left twice recently and done absolutely nothing. He played away on the left at Stoke, where he, he did less than nothing. He was hooked because he didn't track Hoover for both of the first two goals. And then again at Birmingham, where they drew a blank. He played on the left-hand side. Broughton was on the bench because he wasn't fit. And again, it didn't work. The bigger thing I would be saying is why has Sorba Thomas disappeared out of the team in terms of if you want to go back to that front four? I think the bigger issue is Thomas not playing on the right rather than it being Broughton Diaz rather than Dolan on the left. But undoubtedly, he's coming in for a little bit of stick at the moment. His performances haven't been great. And there is a, a little bit of a debate to be had whether he should be starting against Coventry. I'm in total agreement with you just uh, to start this off that he has not checked out and he absolutely wants the best for Blackburn in the remaining time that he has got here. So I'm in total agreement with you. I think we've got the evidence um, now in front of us and at the start of his spell um, that when he is thinking about football and when he's got that mental side of his game possibly overwhelming him at the moment... We're seeing what we're seeing in front of our eyes now. And I think you're absolutely right. I think he's trying really hard because he genuinely, I have no doubt, wants to leave us with a present of getting us into the playoffs. And I think, Bottle, you've got to have the mentality and you've got to stand up and be counted. And you've got to use the crowd and use that Blackburn end to your advantage rather than what seemed to happen, which was the opposite, that they just froze and didn't know what to do. And, and when we did have those moments when players have got into those positions, we see... Brereton Diaz, you know, <laughs> have a shot and it goes out for a throw. That really did sum up <clears> the <throat> afternoon, didn't it? And his yeah. his afternoon in particular. Totally. We see Sorba Thomas hit the side net in twice when he should have done so much better in both of those the positions. One, the one at the end where he fires it in at, at the nip. Like, what is he trying to do from that position? So, so disappointing. So the decision-making overall was just really poor. And I think what we've seen here with this game finishing 0-0, if you just want something to summarise and picture what it takes to make the top six. It's a game like this. And if you want a passage of play that sums that up, um, in that first half, Ben Brereton-Diaz is driving through, um, and he has got a choice to make. He can have the shot on goal, or he, on the overlap, he's got Sam Smodic and Harry Pickering, both on his overlap to the left. Because of what you're describing there, Elliot, about him just trying too hard and, and wanting to do something right for Rovers, he goes for the shot, but he's a man not in form. So actually, when we talk about decision-making in the final third, the thing he should be doing at that point is lay that off to Smodich or Pickering, then go and get yourself in the box and on the end of something if you can. But I've got no doubt that because he's trying his hardest, because he knows he's in this run of form, because he knows he's probably got question marks over his place at the moment, that leads to the decision to have a really tame shot that um, you know Darlow retrieves really comfortably. And then there's another passage of play, isn't there, where he attempts that raking crossfield pass as well. I mean, when have we seen this from Diaz successfully over the years? Why is he trying that? You know, play to your strengths, do the things that you're good at. So I think he's just trapped in a bit of a, a mental trap, <laughs> trapped in a mental trap, brilliant grammar. But you know what I mean? You know, he's playing himself a lot at the moment and he just needs to get back into that instinctive game that served him so well in that red hot 18 months that he had for us. But totally agree with you just to finish this bit off. He has not checked out. Yes, he's got a lot to look forward to in the future. We all would love to go and sit on a beach in Spain and, and do the things that he might be about to do. 
but I'm not having the checked out thing. And I think that is why we're seeing the performances that we are, because he's just trying his absolute damnedest. And I think that's what he was also doing at the start of his spell with us. And I think it actually makes him a worse player when he does that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not like, as you were just saying, we've not seen spells of this sort of form from Burton Diaz before. He has been relatively streaky to a certain extent, but albeit for a longer period, streaky for four months. Like last season, I know he got his ankle injury, but he wasn't the same player when he came back at the back end of last season as he was in the early part of the season. I've, I still don't think he looks fully fit as well, personally. I still think he looks mm. like he's carrying knocks, and I had hoped the World Cup break would reset that. I've not really seen the same sort of lung-busting runs that we were seeing, like the Sunderland game at home in particular, all the way back in whatever, October. He didn't score that. Well, he did, sorry, he scored that screaming, but the, the best thing he did it was just driving them up the pitch the way he could carry the ball. And he just doesn't look like he's got that freedom of movement at the moment. So whether it's a bit of that, Thomas has already said once this season, well, on a couple of occasions this season, that he's overplayed him in the early parts of the season. I just wonder if his body's still, he's still growing into his body a little bit and maybe he's not worked out how to manage his body so he doesn't burn out towards the back end of the season as well. And with the way that he plays as well, with that pure explosion that, as you say, carrying the ball all the time. And he puts in a shift, even now when we're talking about that he's not affecting things, you know, in the final third for us. You can't label against him that he doesn't work hard. You know, I, that Watford away game is the one that really stands out to me. Just following Gasper up and down that left-hand side. You cannot label against Ben Brereton diaz that he's not working hard and trying hard. But as you say, when you're into this second half of the season, when you're needing to manage your body, you know, can you do that as effectively as you were perhaps doing in those earlier summer months? Maybe not. So I think you're absolutely right to highlight that. And I, I would share it with you, Elliot. Um, whether it is a little knock, whether it's just muscle fatigue, you know, I'm not the pro here, but just that half yard, which makes Ben Brereton Diaz's game is certainly missing at the moment. Yeah, I completely agree. There was a few of the... Surprise, well, not surprises, but a few other p- points of contention, I think, in the fan base about the team selection. Adam Wharton back on the bench. That didn't surprise me one bit. I thought I quite, I quite saw that coming, if I'm being honest. I don't think, and Thomason spoke about it a little bit, I don't think he sees him as someone that can play in a midfield two at the moment in that double pivot. I think offensively, we all know what he offers on the ball. But I think Thomason, and he said as much last last night, has reservations about his defensive side playing in that double pivot if you're going to play Smodics in front. I, I do think 4-2-3-1 is Rover's best position, uh, best formation. So if he's not going to play him in the pivot role next to Lewis Travis, then he probably doesn't get in the team. But for me, the weirdest one or the strangest one is Sorba Thomas. I just don't understand why he's not starting at the moment. And again, I don't think Sorba Thomas has been absolutely amazing where he should guarantee a start every week. But he does offer something that they don't have him for the balance of the team, for the alchemy of the, that attack. He is the best option to play on that right side. Why on earth we've gone back to playing Sam Gallagher on the wing? I don't know. It is probably my biggest hate in terms of team selection. Do not play Sam Gallagher on the wing. He is not a winger. He offers nothing on the wing other than he works quite hard defensively. And if you're playing with the greatest respect, the man who's got number nine on, on his back and earns a fair decent wage and costs a lot of money, for his defensive capabilities on the right wing, you know you've got a problem. Yeah, and as much as I've highlighted decision-making in the final third as a big contributing factor to you know yesterday's result, the tactics and formation from JDT is the other thing here. Um, I don't know why he changed the formation uh, from the Huddersfield game, actually, Elliot. I know that 4-2-3-1 is probably our, our strongest, but 
the way that we finished that game against Huddersfield, you know, we've shown that releasing JRC into those positions, for example, is a really fruitful avenue for us. Yes, Sam Gallagher is going to be unhappy that he's not playing, but throughout the whole season, JDT, you've put players in the under-23s, you've put players in the under-21s, players haven't started games and you've stood by those decisions and largely they've been justified decisions. So why affect the balance of the side and, and have someone like Sam Gallagher on the right? Or if you're going to play Sam Gallagher, play him centrally and get Sorba Thomas on the right, putting some crosses into the box if that's what you want to do. But for me, you know, we're speaking about Ben Brereton-Diaz, who isn't in form. Joe Rankin-Costello is absolutely in form. So if our right-back is having the most shots on target in a game, and that's a fruitful avenue for us, bloody do it again. Like, play the same formation. Get Adam Wharton in that side. And if it's not quite going right at halftime, 60 minutes, 75 minutes, then revert back to that 4-2-3-1 if you want and make a change that way. So I think it was a massive oversight on JDT's part to not, stick with the same formation that finished that game so strongly against Huddersfield. And I think the changes that he did make within game in that second half, you know, you can say that they once again didn't have an impact. And and that's the thing that JDT next season, you know, whether we make top six or not this season, you know, we'll cover that shortly. But next season, JDT has to affect games with his substitutions in that second half more than he's done this season. We've spoke about some of the negatives. I, I do think there's something to flag up in terms of variance, which I think is going on with Blackburn Rovers in front of goal right now. Done a little bit of digging in the underlying numbers. In the last four games, they've created an expected goals tally of 9.2 get two goals, and they've scored twice, both of which were Huddersfield, and they still underperform their expected goals at Huddersfield despite scoring the two goals. It is undoubted. It's, it's literally in the, in the numbers. They are having a bit of bad luck in front of goal. They are creating opportunities and not putting them in the back of the net. And history will tell us that if you keep doing that, eventually it will come for you. It is a bit of variance because earlier in the season, their expected goals, they were massively outperforming it and they were very clinical, very hot in front of goal and winning games that they probably didn't deserve to win. Now I think they're starting to get results. There's no doubt in my mind they've deserved a better points return than two points from the last four. They should have got a point at Birmingham. They should have beaten Huddersfield. Norwich, I think, was a fair result. And they probably should have won last night. So you, what's that, an extra two for an extra five points you're talking on top of the two they already got? So that was an extra seven. That would have been seven points out of 12. That wouldn't have been disastrous. That would have had them comfortably fifth in the table. So I do think that's worth noting as well that if they can just get some goals going in off people's backsides... They are creating the opportunities, which I suppose the bigger concern is when you, you're not creating the chances. Yeah, and we've got to live and die by the sword that you know we planted at the start of the season. So I think most of the fan base um, weren't happy with the chances that we weren't creating at the start of the season. Lots of pundits and, and other channels and shows and stuff you, you know, were really slagging off our XG and the fact that Rovers were in the top six. So yeah, let's live and die by the same sword. Actually, as much as we were probably a bit disappointed earlier on in the season, yes, let's take the positive now. At, at least we are creating those chances. At least we're having the conversation here, Elliot, about decision-making in the final third, not getting into the final third itself, which you could probably label at some of the performances. So um, it does balance out, and I am a believer in karma. So as much as we've had to swallow the fact that we've won games with low XG and low chance creation, we're now going to have to swallow the fact that you know we are creating more chances and, and haven't got our just rewards. But 
time's running out um, and we can't stay on this path for too much longer. Um, there's only five games to go and we've got some really difficult opponents coming up. So we cannot afford to make poor decisions in the final third in those final five games because we will get punished, plain and simple. We didn't get punished last night. We could have easily got punished if uh, if Syed had put that chance away, which he should have done. So we will get punished, make no mistake about it. So that XG and all the other statistics supporting it now has to turn into the important one, which is ball in the back of the net. Yeah, there's three weeks of the season left as we record, or three weeks tomorrow. They're still in the top six somehow by a point. But there's seven teams chasing two places by my reckoning. There's four points between Rovers in sixth and Watford in 12th. Millwall have got a two-point gap now in fifth because they beat Preston North End. It's as tight as it could be. There really is no margin for error now. And again, going back to our two routes, plan A, plan B. Uh, Plan A certainly didn't go to plan. Plan B, they've got five cup finals and ultimately Blackburn aren't, aren't going to be relying on other people. They'll be relying on themselves because if they win the games they need to win, they'll finish in the top six. And if they don't, they won't. And it really is now down to that simple equation. Yeah, that's it. And with the games that we've got left, it's both a massive advantage and a massive disadvantage. It's a massive advantage because if we beat Coventry, Preston and Millwall, my word, that's dream ticket scenario, isn't it? And you've taken points off rivals and got further away from them as well. So, you know, if you could pick three games to win out of the last five, what a set of matches. But the major disadvantage, as you say, is there is no margin for error. We had margin for error. Uh, when we started off on the 1st of April against Birmingham, you know, we had a little bit of margin for error. That has absolutely well and truly evaporated now. And I'm sure Rovers fans will have their views now about whether we can win three out of the last five. A couple of weeks ago, I said three wins, two draws gets us to 72 points. And I think that that's enough. We've got the two draws now. Can Rovers go and get the three wins? We're going to have to play bloody well to do it. We're going to have to stick the ball in the back of the net if we create chances to do it. But why can't we win those games, three games, 1-0? Why can't we do it? So, you know, Rovers fans will have their view about whether we will or we won't. But it's just plain and simple now. And if you're JDT, that for me just becomes a really easy thing to manage. We've had this, oh, we've got a gap. People are chasing us. You know, there might have been a few things where you could kind of... JDT could do his usual, you know, kind of positivity piece around it'll all be fine. Actually, now it's simple. Three games, lads, go and win them. Take the pick which three you're going to go and win, plain and simple. Yeah, it really is that straightforward, I think, as it comes. I think ultimately with five games to go, we would have all took being in the top six, but it does feel like there's been opportunities missed in the last four games to really give themselves more breathing room, which they've, they've got such little of right now. So, Ryan, two massive games coming up this week. Coventry City at home on Wednesday and then away at Preston North End at Deepdale on Saturday. That's a half-five kickoff. Both live on Sky Sports, of course they are. Coventry's huge, isn't it? Coventry are a good team. They're in good form. They haven't lost any of their last seven away games, winning four of them. And they've got nicer fixtures than Rovers. If they beat Rovers, they'll go above them. There's no room for errors we've just spoke about. And they've got five cup finals starting on Wednesday night against the Sky Blues. 
Yeah, and this is where the incentive for Rovers comes in because, yes, they might have nicer fixtures, but go and beat Coventry and go four points ahead of Coventry, you know, with them then having three games to go, you can remove the fact that they've got nicer fixtures by creating a four-point gap to Coventry. So there's a huge incentive for Rovers there. And I was just looking at the fixtures, you know, maybe six weeks ago, we might have looked at Coventry and thought, ooh, that's starting to look like a bit of a tasty one. And as Coventry have rumbled on, and as we've just obviously let sides in, well, make no mistake, it's just the biggest game of the season right now with the little mini run that we're on with, you know, no win in four or five games or whatever it is. It's absolutely the biggest game of the season. And I'll go as far as saying that if we don't win it, we won't make top six. That's the strength of my feeling with this one. Um, if we do win it, then wow, what a huge step towards top six and something to take into that Preston game. So, we can dress this up all we like. It is just well and truly the biggest game of the season. And not winning for me is just not an option. We've done that a few times when you look at the recent fixtures. They played Huddersfield at probably the worst time of the season. Coventry would have been a nicer fixture six weeks ago. Preston would have certainly been a nicer fixture six weeks ago. And they seem to be playing all the teams when they're in the best run of the season. Yeah, we do. But I've always had a thing about Coventry. I think they... Um... You know, they've really reignited themselves from where they were, you know, League Two and, and whatever all those years ago. And, you know, football at times is a really simple game, Elliot. Um, you know, if you play it the right way, if you do the simple things on the pitch, and if you have someone that can stick the ball in the back of the net, then invariably you're going to find yourself higher up in the table. And, and obviously Victor Jokerez is is someone who fits into that latter category there. So, um, yeah, I would have loved to have played them <laughs> six or seven weeks ago, but we're not. We're playing them in red-hot form. They're going to come to Ewood absolutely brimming with confidence with those seven games undefeated and, and the little wobble that we're having. But do you know what? Could that play to our advantage, aside coming to Rovers and imposing themselves? Who knows? Yeah, Gokeres for me is probably the best number nine in the championship. Um, probably unless you count Illiman and Jai, them two certainly the top attacking talents for me. Um, Harmer is going to be a, a real danger man as well in midfield. They can't let him dictate the match, so I, I, I would just probably have Lewis Travis run around after him and kick his ankles every once in a while and try not to get sent off. If I'm being completely honest. Mm. Um, but Coventry are a side that can be exposed defensively. They do have weaknesses. They have thrown in random performances where they've just folded like a pack of cards. I'm thinking of the, the home win, uh, home defeat to Norwich City, probably at the start of the David Wagner tenure. I'm thinking of the recent 4-0 home defeat to Stoke City as well out of the blue. Those are both at home, away from home and say seven unbeaten. They have been better. They're a very, very dangerous side. They've won four of those seven as well. It's not a, a run of draws. And as you say, they also probably need to come to Ewood and know that if they win, they'll, they'll jump above them. So I, I could see both teams really going for it. Yeah, I think so. And um, if you think about the fixtures that we've got and they've got, maybe Coventry might be happier with you know a draw um, based on what I've just said. If Coventry know that they've got the easier fixtures, if Coventry know that there's fans like me out there that are saying we need to go and beat Coventry, maybe they won't come at us. Maybe they will be happy just to I sit. I just think maybe on that, on that point... With the amount of teams there are, I don't think you can afford to have that mindset because it's not just Rovers yeah. v Coventry, is it? There's about eight other teams yeah. that ultimately could jump in. Yeah, fair. And um, obviously the the night before, just to rub salt in the wounds, Sunderland could be in sixth place before Rovers play Coventry just to really take the piss out of us with Tony Mowbray really in the top six. Mo Mo Mowbray, no striker all season. 
couldn't get Rovers in the top six for love nor money. And then if he managed to do that with Sunderland in his first season without a striker, that would be a that would add insult to injury. Yeah, and I think the point you raise about Coventry not you know approaching the game with that negative mindset, I think you're right, Elliot. I think that's a really fair point. Um, I do think they're going to come confident. I think Coventry do invariably cause us problems, whether it's home or away, actually. I remember them knocking us out of the FA Cup. I remember last season when we were 2-0 up and we drew 2-2. Um, and middle of the park, as you say, it's been, for me, one of our weakest points this season with people to really command in the centre of the park. It's going to be tough to get control of that football. Um, and it's we just have to. And I do just wonder whether someone like Adam Water in, in there just to turn the game in our favour... You know, should JDT look at someone like him on Wednesday evening? Who knows? But yeah, tough, tough game on Wednesday. It really is going to be. But would we have it any other way? I don't know. We could be sat down in 15th place with nothing to play for. So I'd rather have the butterflies that I've currently got than just thinking what we're doing next season. Yeah, I suppose uh, a bit of nerves is better than apathy. In terms of team selection, I think they should go back to that three-man midfield because I think Coventry are a very good side. I would bring Adam Wharton back. Maybe Smodix off the left. Maybe off the left. Maybe Sober Thomas off the right. Burton Diaz. <clears throat> could he Could he have a go down? I'm not a big fan of this suggestion that Burton should play down the middle. But I just wonder with the struggles he's clearly having from the left and the fact he is their biggest goal threat, should he play down the, down the middle against Coventry if we're going to play more... If we're only going to play with a front three and we're probably going to maybe play more in transition, does it matter if he's off the left or down the middle? Maybe mm. not. Maybe Smodix goes to the left, Brereton goes up front and you have Sober Thomas for that pace as well. Bring Adam Wharton back in so Gallagher would come out, Dolan would um, Dolan would come out for Thomas as well. I'd keep the back line the same and goal again. I, I don't see him changing the goalkeeper again this year. I thought there was an opportunity to make the changing goal and I expect... After his comments in the pre-match press conference, which were almost no comment, which sounds a bit amateur psychology, given how adamant he was Pears was going to start after Birmingham, I really thought Kaminsky was going to play, and that was the opinion of everyone in the local media after that press conference. I don't see him change the goalkeeper now this season. No, just to pick up the two things you've said there. So let's start with the goalkeeper. Um, you're right. I think he's lost the opportunity to make the change now. And for Thomas Kaminsky's number one fan sat right here, it actually makes me a bit anxious that this is going on for as long as it has. You know, I made a fairly tongue-in-cheek comment on the last podcast that is Thomas Kaminsky's agent or whoever touting him to other clubs. I really hope that that's not the case. I really hope there isn't something going on behind the scenes, which is you know, off the pitch eroded JDT's confidence in him in his number one next season. I really hope that's not the case. So I fully expect to see pairs right through to the end of the season now, unless there is, you know, a massive mistake or an injury, of course. So I think, yeah, pairs will stay in goal. And I think at this stage of the season, it needs to be a fairly settled defence. And, you know, let's just be clear here. We kept a clean sheet yesterday. We've largely looked okay defensively as much as Carter and Hyam have have had a couple of wobbles, but I think the defence and the goalkeeper are, are fairly settled now. So I agree with pairs. Sammy Smodic from the left. Um, if there was one man that was going to do something last night, it was Sam Smodic. I think he is one of our most important attacking players at the moment. And I just wish Sam Smodic could be on the end of something that Sam Smodic has done because uh. like, that's where the problem's lying at the moment. He is having to to drive us, drift out, do all those things, just be a real thorn in the opposition side. And we could just do with another one like him 
in and around that box to get on the end of something that he's done. So I think what I saw last night with Sam Smodic was some of the stuff down that left-hand side, Elliot, especially when Diaz went off as well. So I think you could make a case for Diaz down the centre interchanging with Sam Smodic. If they're just regularly flexing and changing in that way, start the game with Diaz centrally. And as you say, can they just shift and mould their positions a little bit? But Coventry it would be... play with about three as well. So there's every mm. chance that ultimately you don't need to have someone occupying one of the centre-backs because the two wider ones will be split out anyway. So yeah. I do think it could work more because of their shape as well. Definitely. And let's throw in you know, the other attacking option that playing this formation, uh, formation brings in. Joe Rankin-Costello sounds absolute, you know, absolutely daft, but he can then go and get involved as Imagine well. Imagine if you'd so... said that in December, <laughs> like the start of December. <laughs> what a story. I mean, what a man as well. But um, I do think we missed that last night. Um, just, you know... I think I've seen in the championship over the years when managers do things differently, when there's something outside of the box, whether it's, you know, Daniel Farker who's come in or, you know, David Wagner or other managers Bielsa. that have come. Bielsa, you know, when they do something outside of the box at championship level, I think you can get just rewards with that. And I think that position that JRC takes up and that, you know, ability to just go into the box untracked, I think that's something we should do more. And if that's the formation we have to play to release it, then so be it. So, um, yeah, this is a really long way of saying Smodic left, Diaz right, uh, Diaz central, Thomas right. You know, I would not be against that. I really wouldn't. Preston on Saturday. Hard to know what state we'll be in, obviously, without the game on Wednesday. But that's become a much tougher game. They they were pretty awful at Deepdale for most of the season. And all of a sudden, they've started grinding out some results. They lost to Millwall on Saturday. So, they'll be wanting a, a they need a response to keep themselves in and around the playoff pack, or they'll fall away just as quick as they got themselves in it. Tom Tom Cannon's another forward. I'd, I would love Tom. I would have loved if Rowan signed Tom <laughs> Cannon in January. Um, based on how well he's done, I think he's the sort of fox in the box that that Rovers are missing. He's in great form, and you just know Ryan Lowe will have them right up for it, even if they have got nothing to play for. I think he really loved that they did a number on Rovers earlier in the season, and they absolutely took the piss, really, didn't they, at, at Ewood Park? That that is the worst performance I've seen from Rovers this season. Um, albeit the Rotherham one was pretty horrific as well, but the the one against Preston for me is the worst of the season, and they owe them. They really do owe them one, don't they? And it's time in a derby match for for Rovers to to go and give one of the rivals a little bit of something. I think so. And when you're talking about the easy team talk things, if I was JDT, I would just go and plaster the news clippings of of that result around the changing room and say, you've just had a month off football and this is what you're serving up on the first game back. So you owe this to the fans to go and do it. So for me, I, I would be doing that. You're right. We do owe them. Um, Deepdale is just always a ground that whenever I'm there, we lose. Whenever I'm are not go- there. Are you going? Are you going? I won't be there, so Rovers fans, you can rejoice. It's my son. It's my son's birthday, so I'll be avoiding Deepdale. Um, but you're absolutely right, Elliot. We do owe them one, and we're going to have to deal with a really hostile environment because Preston just love doing this to Rovers. You know, their fan base do, their team do. They absolutely love knocking Rovers back a peg. So. The incentive is going to be all with them to just keep clawing Rovers back. So we're going to have to go there and deal with it. And as much as Coventry is going to be a tough game, I think, in a footballing sense, because I think we're going to see a really good footballing size rock up at Ewood Park, we're going to see the atmosphere that Huddersfield cranked up in that first half and Rovers buckled and bottled it in that first half. 
We're going to see it elevated and amplified at Deepdale and there will be no hiding place and Preston will be up for this game and they will know that if they can beat Rovers, they could potentially go above Rovers at a really important stage of the season. So we simply have to go to Deepdale and stand up to be that. And we're going to have to just deal with the fact that when we've got a throw in on the sidelines, some of their fans might start giving us stick. We're going to get booed. It's going to be a really hostile atmosphere. We might go one goal down. You know, all these things are variables that you just have to deal with at this time of the season. So we do owe them. Um, we have won our last two at Deepdale, haven't we? So no reason it was why my we first can't go game there. actually covering mm. Blackburn Rose for Lance Live last season. In fact, probably around this time last year when they went to Deepdale with three games to go and won four one. Yeah, and you know it's all right going to Deepdale and winning four one when playoffs is not a possibility. We now have to go to Deepdale and win when playoffs is a possibility for both. And I know that there will be Rovers fans listening to this now and and with views over Twitter and whatever that won't fancy Rovers to stand up to that at Deepdale because of what we've seen in the last few weeks. I think it's interesting. Someone tweeted me before the games at the weekend and said, I was having a conversation with my friend who's a Preston fan and it never occurred to either of them that they could just both finish in the playoffs. And I, I, and, and that <laughs> never even occurred to me either. It really does feel like one or the other, even though really, well, certainly before the weekend, there was no reason why it couldn't have been Preston and Rovers in fifth and sixth. But I think that just sums up the rivalry, really. <laughs> It really does. And um, people know that I'm not from, you know, the Northwest. So I don't have the deep rooted hatred that people have for Burnley. But I've always just treated the Burnley rivalry with, you know, the respect it deserves. You know, it's the East Lanks derby. It's the one we all love. They hate us. We hate them. That's the way we like it. So I get really annoyed when Preston just try and muscle their way in on all of that. No, like Rovers Burnley is our rivalry, not you. Like, you go and play with Blackpool and do whatever you want to do. Like, so they just annoy me, even though I'm not from the Northwest. I like that. Score predictions. Time to put your head on the block. What are you going for? Uh, I'd love to come on and happy clap, Elliot. But I just, I have to be ruled by my head this time. I don't think I've seen, this is not me slagging the players off. I just think from a mentality side at the business end of the season, I just don't think I've seen enough from the last two or three weeks to suggest that we're going to stand up to Coventry at home and impose ourselves and and be brave and and get that victory. And I just don't see us coping with the Deepdale atmosphere. And I can see two draws, um, <laughs> which I you know I, that's what I can see. I'd love to say that we're going to win both games, but. I, I can see two draws. I'm not going to sit here and predict a loss in either of them, even though I could probably see us losing, you know, one or two of them as well. And that sounds really negative of me, but the Norwich game on Good Friday really deflated me. What happened in the first half at Huddersfield really deflated me. And then just, you know, yesterday's result has deflated me. And I think it's the three things that are combining, you know, the the occasion of Norwich, the when the chips are down away at Huddersfield, and then when you're largely dictating a game and you need some bravery in the final third, these are three real big components that we're going to need to beat Coventry and to beat Preston. And I just, unless those three things come out to play in those games and I'm willing to have egg on my face, I can't see us getting the two wins that we need. So I'm going to say one all at home to Coventry and I'm going to say nil nil away at Preston. Do you, do you know why I was laughing through that entire segment? <laughs> I wrote down my score predictions before we even came, started recording, before I'd even spoken to you today. 
I thought one all for Coventry <laughs> and nil nil at Preston. <laughs> I've literally wrote down the exact same scores without us even speaking to each other today. So yeah. it's not scripted. Um, but yeah, I completely, I literally, I, I, there's not, I've got nothing to add on that. I completely agree with everything you've said. The, the body of evidence we've got over the course of se- the season, they have picked up some results. You know, they beat Sheffield United at home, they beat West Brom at home early in this season. Good points at Watford, good points at West Brom. But they did lose away at Burnley. They did lose at home to Preston. Um, they did lose to Sheffield United away from home, although that was really early in the season, to be fair. So they, they've, they've not got a sparkling record. They lost at Luton. Mm. So they've not got a sparkling record against the teams that have been in and around the top six. And I just don't think... I just feel like the momentum... I said before kickoff on Saturday that actually I thought if Rovers didn't beat Hull, it was done. And not necessarily because of the points, because obviously they're still in the top six, but I just feel like the momentum and the mood, which was summed up by Booze at full time, Yeah, I just think is... Are the players strong enough to cope with the fans losing faith? And when you're talking about team talks and stuff that you should be plastering over the changing room, if the results happen that we've said, um, JDT needs to be telling this squad, if those two results happen, Burnley will come to Ewood Park and have the potential to end your playoff hopes once and for all. If that ain't incentive then I don't know what is. So when we're talking about Coventry in particular is a must win at home, that's just another dimension to add on to it. Do they need to win both? Would four points be a good week? Four points would be a good week because of who we're playing. It then obviously brings into sharp focus that you're then needing a win or two against Burnley, Luton and Millwall. And I've said all along, I really don't want to be going to Millwall on the final day needing a win. You know, we could easily, well, not easily, we could potentially go down there and get a win on the final day at Millwall. That's not out the realms of possibility, but it's just very difficult to do with that crowd on the final day of the season. That's what I've tried to avoid all along. Four points would not be a disaster, Elliot. It wouldn't because of who we're playing, but it just brings into sharp focus some very, very difficult games. So, Ryan, we'll round off the podcast, as always, with our Rovers riddle. Um, last week's was, from the Emerald Isle, I came to play at Ewood Park to make my name. It was Tom's dad who signed me. He didn't last long. The villain who loaned me my final swan song. Did you get it? I think I have, but I just need you to explain to me the final part of it because of villain. But I think it's Keith Andrews on the basis that it's someone Irish signed by Paul Ince. But what's this villain thing about? Uh, I don't, because no one liked Paul Ince, I'm assuming. <laughs> maybe. Villain loaned me out. Because I was going down like an Aston Villa route. So maybe a listener can tweet us and tell us what the villain part means. I saw a couple of people did get it. Um, and you've got it as well. So well done. Keith Andrews was correct. Um, this week's is a lot shorter. Um, this player dwells near the Red Spring. Interesting. <laughs> is uh, Is your... Is your clue for this week? Make sure you tweet us at Inside Brockle if you've got the answer, and uh, we'll let you know next week how Ryan gets on and what the correct answer was. And that concludes this week's this uh, this week's episode of the Inside Brockle podcast. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast in your chosen app, and make sure you're following us on Twitter at Inside Brockle. Thank you for listening. Hopefully, a good week to come for Rovers, and we'll speak again very soon. Yeah.